I believe there's a hero in all of us. You have great powers, only some of which you have yet discovered. I'm a superhero, my A real life superhero. The world needs extraordinary. We will make you a superhero. Are you ready to become the hero? Initiating surprise in three. This two is one. The Real Brian Show. Oh, hello there. Happy June! I'm so excited. We had so much fun on St. Patrick's Day that, you know, I wanted to get this guy back on the show. We're doing something a little different today. If you all remember Positive Entropy, he wanted to bring all of the topics, and I have absolutely no idea what they're all about today. It is a surprise to me as well. You know, and I, I may bring something up. I may not. I You know, I just don't know. But it's Friday. Let's rock it! Thank God it's Friday. I mean, isn't this the worst, cheesiest music you've ever heard in your life? Probably, yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah, man. Positive Entropy. Positive Entropy. I'm back. Whitney, welcome. Thank you. Good to have you, man. I'm so glad to be back. I need to let your listeners know that you weren't just being lazy. I specifically said I'm hijacking the topics for your show and you're not allowed to look at them until the day of. Well, the truth is, is that I wasn't being lazy. You're right. And what you just said is not true either. The fact is, I just don't care. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're like, I'll turn this stupid show off. No, dude. Yeah, I appreciate this. In fact, well, stop. I, I, I'm like scrolling down and I'm like, I'm not allowed to look. Don't look. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Wow. June. So what do you think? Is it going to snow tomorrow? I'm hoping not. I'm really <laughs> hoping that was. I've had enough. Oh I've had enough. Gosh. That was crazy. Actually, it was crazy. It was also beautiful back there mid-May or so when we had that really heavy snow. The neighborhood around me, like it, it absorbed all the sound. So everything was just quiet. I do like that about the snow, especially when you go outside at night and it's just like the, the light of the city reflects. And so it's actually lighter Mm -hmm. you can see. Yeah. That's interesting. Everything's just very peaceful when it snows. Well, and it, it absorbs all the sound, especially with it, with it all stuck on the leaves of the tree branches. And so it was just stuck there and quiet except for the occasional just giant crack as trees yeah. broke and fell off. And the glorious majesty of a winter's morn in the middle of the summer and the peaceful quiet of tree branches cracking violently as the snow destroys these life, these things that are living and balls on people's cars and roofs. It was a beautiful thing. It, it was a beautiful thing. Yeah. I feel like we should write a song about that. Hmm. So anyway, what are we talking about today? I don't even know. I'm so excited. This is actually kind of a cool idea. I should start doing this. I think you should. I don't have any idea what it is we're going to talk about. And, you know, anybody that co-hosts with me brings it. You know, I think last time you gave me a lot of ideas. And so this time, I mean, in our original conversation, I hinted at some of these topics just because they were interesting things in my life at that point. Okay. I like this. So first real thoughts. What are those shows, the TV shows out there? That everyone seems to be pulling up and you think are culturally relevant, but at the same time, you're steering away from. Oh, that's a good question. What it, you know, there is a certain amount you want to know for what's going on. I mean, culturally relevant, if you don't know what Game of Thrones is and you miss all those references, the same thing. But there are some of those that you just don't want to watch. Yeah. And we brought this up in the context of, I was mentioning Black Mirror. I've had like four or five friends tell me, you got to see Black Mirror. (laughs) This episode, this, it's like Black Mirror. Yeah. What we were doing last night, you know, we were doing this and it would have been creepier if it was like that part of Black Mirror. And, I'm, and I hadn't seen a single episode. So I saw a couple recently and 
I've seen three episodes. They were all very well done, very well produced, and they creeped me out. I don't really want to watch any more of them. Okay, so this is kind of funny you're bringing this up because we were talking about this at one of the game nights and one of the guys was like, yeah, you know, I've been watching this. Well, first of all, we kept saying watch Dark Matter, which is a sci-fi show. And he kept saying, I don't know if I like this show. And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, it's sci-fi, dude. It's amazing. No, it's really brutal and it's dark. And I'm like, what? Dark Matter? Like, it's not that brutal. And he's like, yeah, this went on for weeks. This is a horrible show. Oh my gosh. Like, I can't believe they went there. And I'm like, it's dark. What are you watching? And he's like, it's, oh, I'm watching Black Mirror. (laughs) And I'm going, okay, that's a very different show. And yeah, he was saying he pushed all the way to the end. And yeah, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was one of those things where it's like, you don't want to look at the person whose head was just chopped off by a train but you do anyway because you can't turn away that spectacle of horror type of yeah yeah well and and because i've had so many people tell me i'm like okay i'm going to push my weight even forcing myself through an episode has been hard in places yeah and maybe i'm just soft and i like things that are happy and fluffy and fuzzy and i mean don't get me wrong i like jack reacher films too but <laughs> but that's pg13 so was, you know it's not as much shock value right i some ways, I guess I relate it to really tough to see art. Sometimes art is just really hard to look at and it's, yeah. there's nothing aesthetically pleasing about it, but maybe that's exactly what the artist means to get across. Yeah. And so if that's exactly what they mean with these TV shows, but then, then I come back to that conflict. Everybody's seen it. Everybody knows it. They're making references to it. Do I have to watch this to mm. keep up in conversation? That's a great question. Personally, I would say no, but that's me. I'm kind of one of those people that says, you know, there are some things that I have to draw the line on. And if they like, I don't watch Game of Thrones. I know it's one of the best stories out there, but there are also things in that show that I just don't need to watch and shouldn't. So that's just kind of how I feel with that. So, no, I don't understand the references that probably leaves you and I in the minority. Oh, yeah, totally. We're missing all those cultural references. I don't know. There are some things that I think people should watch for cultural reference that are especially along the older films that are along those lines. Yeah. Like. Casablanca. Yeah. (laughs) I know that's an old reference there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very true. But there's so much that I didn't see that until I was in my mid twenties. And then I was like, oh, I modern cinema makes so much more sense. There are all these references to it. Yeah. And I wonder, am I missing that or will I be missing that in the future if I don't watch Black Mirror now? It's hard to say. Well, I mean, okay, let's look at like even traditional education. Traditional education talks about, oh, you got to read these books. They're classics. And I thought, well, these books sucked. I don't care if they're classics or not. They're horrible. Or you got to watch Citizen Kane was another one. Oh, I still haven't seen it. I couldn't even get through it. I'm like, I'm sorry. And it was like, oh my gosh, the masterpiece. And they have reasons why it's a masterpiece. And so I can respect that. But the reality is, is that I didn't enjoy it. So does something that is considered a classic mean that it is a must watch or a must read or a must listen to or whatever if you don't enjoy it well why care how long is that list to really be culturally well studied if you need to not even getting into the book side and the just the hours of film and tv that you need to watch to understand everyone's cultural references these days but then again too this brings up another point of like culture in general so i think a lot of times people will say well you have to know these classics in order to be I don't know, accept it or to be in the conversation. But then you have to understand that nowadays there are niches of cultures. And so you might say like Star Wars, for example, oh, we got to watch Star Wars. Well, if you're in that culture of sci-fi or nerddom or whatever you want to call it, then yeah, you need to watch Star Wars. If you're not, doesn't matter. Now, granted, 
Casablanca, for example, that's a very different one because I don't even know how to classify that. <laughs> class, <laughs> it's class. It's theater was coming to the screen. Yeah. Even when you see the way it's shot, it feels like it could have been just played on a stage in front of you. So there you go. Right back then it was theater coming to screen and everything back then was mainstream. I mean, anything in the movies were fairly mainstream. You didn't have like the sci-fi genres, comedy, romantic dramas, action, thrillers, horror. You didn't have that back then for the most part. I would guess there were some parts and there are probably things that they thought back then were such reference that have lost out over time that we're only left with a couple of them, the seventh seal, Casablanca, things like that. It's like, these are the only ones that have survived as the cultural references the societies define them down to. Yeah. And that's why no one has seen knife in the water. And I've never even heard of it. <laughs> okay. This, no, this is interesting. So let me ask you this then you're having a hard time getting through black mirror, but you want to get the cultural references is it worth it? Is it worth it to go through it for your own mental sanity to be able to participate or does it matter? I don't think it matters. And I think get away without it. Actually, I may kind of go the Cliff's Notes route on this. There you go. I'm going to read the reviews. I go read the reviews. (laughs) I'm going to go on Wikipedia and read the plot summaries. There you go. I'll be horrified by those. But for 15 minutes while I read all the plot summaries real quick, I think that might be enough. Maybe like passing a class. Yeah. Well, so, okay. Alien. If you've seen the original Alien movies? Yes, I have. Okay. Alien and Aliens, fantastic movies. I think I saw Alien 3 and was like, no. Didn't see the other ones. Finally saw Prometheus just recently. Mm -hmm. I wasn't entirely sure what the heck was going on. I'm not quite sure that film people knew what was going on either. The story was very, I don't know. There was some plot there. It Um, was, but unexplained. Like they had one in four pages of the script were plot and that was about it. (laughs) And there were some neat moments, but then I was kind of like, wait a minute. So we went and saw Alien Covenant and the story I think was better than it was in Prometheus, but there were some scenes in there that I was like, what's rated R. So there were some scenes in there that I was just like, yeah, wow. You know, when you saw that in the Alien and Aliens movie, it wasn't that big a deal because, you know, they didn't have the technology to make people's guts get ripped out of their throats, you know, and make it look that real. This one, you were just like, Oh, I, oh man, I wish I'd never seen that. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. I mean, I don't know. I was excited to see that one. It's good, but there's a couple scenes in there that you're just like, whoa, I feel like if I was teenager again, maybe I would still be on top of that and just think, oh, that's great. Maybe I'm getting old. I say (laughs) I was never into gore. I don't like horror films because usually they're more disgusting than they are like scary. I like thrillers and suspense because those, those will mess with you. So then you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? You know, like the original Shyamalan movies, you were scared because Mm -hmm. you didn't know what was coming. And there are some original like thriller movies that were so great. This was not scary. And in aliens, I remember when I watched aliens for the first time, granted I was younger when I saw it, Mm -hmm. I was like on the edge of my seat. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Even the original with only one alien was absolutely frightening. Yeah. This was not, I wasn't scared at all. I was just like, yep, this is what's coming. Okay, cool. Oh, that's disgusting. Oh, I did not want to see that, you know, but then there were some other like, okay, well, they sort of tied that in. Why did they do that? I don't understand that. There was one part where they land and instead of waiting for the storm to subside, they fly into it from space. Why? Why in the name of Sam Hill would you put your crew at risk and fly into a storm on purpose? When you don't even have to at all. <laughs> I think they just needed drama. I, well, and, oh, and you could say, okay, maybe that's the writing, but I find, you know, 
this may be kind of tying into one of the later topics I put on our list, but some people just need to invite trouble into their lives. Yes. And in that way, maybe the writing is very true to it. You know? Yeah. We're bored of calm, safe, reasonable landings. Yeah. That's where you go. All right. Pilots. If you fly for an airline and you want to leave us a comment on this, this is a great piece of advice. You know, we're tired of safe, boring landings, you know? No, I'm not actually. I'm cool Neither with it. I'm I have- happy with safe, boring landings. I want to get there. I want to get there safely. I'm good. I got enough excitement in my life. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> I don't know if I have enough excitement in my life, but I don't need that excitement. Yeah, that's more terrifying. I, yeah, I don't know. So I'll tell you this about Alien. If you like the Alien movies, it is worth seeing. It's good. If you don't mind that kind of gore, then whatever. If you're like vehemently opposed to seeing that kind of thing, don't because it's a little. Yeah. And I've seen a lot and I was just like, Ugh. but this is a fun little game. It's alien, right? So go in and predict who's going to live every movie, right? There's only like one or two, three, four or five survivors, you know, ever. So go in and just kind of go, okay, that person's going to live. That person's going to live and that person, you know, whatever. Go pick and see if you can win a bet because it's kind of funny. <laughs> did you guess correctly on this one? I did. <laughs> I was like, I won't say anything, but yes, I picked the right people. And it was exactly right. <laughs> now, the one thing, there was a little twist that I didn't predict in the beginning, but then I did eventually say, oh, that's going on. But no, it's good. It was fun. It's alien. You can sort of turn your brain off, but then you can also sort of say, hey, you know what? What's going on here? And how does this tie in now to the original alien movie? But yeah, that goes back to, did I need to see some of those things with what you were saying with Black Mirror? Personally, no. I can, I like the Cliff Notes idea, Wikipedia. <laughs> There are a couple series I'm going to catch up on that way. It's a great idea. I have a new thing and I've talked about this on the show before, but for example, if I'm in like a Netflix, you know, queue or whatever, and I'm like, oh, what's this show about? I'll watch up to three episodes. And if it's not a heck yes, then it's gone. Sometimes I don't even make it half of a first episode or more than five minutes even. I have definitely had that. Yeah. Anyway, it's interesting. I think there's been very few, there are one or two that someone has said, you really got to see this. And I wasn't saying heck yes to it until I was in episode three. And I was really glad I stuck with it. But there's only like a couple, two or three shows that that's ever happened to. We talked about Parks and Rec two weeks ago. And that was for us too. We watched the first three episodes when it first came out and then lost interest. And I watched the first three episodes again. I don't know, maybe last year, lost interest. And then everybody kept saying season one sucks. Just jump ahead. So we started on episode four and we're like, okay, well, this isn't as bad. And then, yes, you're right. Once you get into season two, it got better. Hmm. So that was one of those ones where it became a heck yes. But those first three episodes, I was like, this is boring. (laughs) It's an old show. But hey, sometimes finding those old gems are great, you know? Well, I think in a lot of ways that may prevent us from getting as much new media out there in the world. So you can go back and watch some really cool things and just, you know, the times when you are going to watch television or movies or whatever, you know, you probably watch a little bit every week. I mean, the average person probably watches too much, yeah. but you're like, okay, I'm watching this series now. There's some great old series that you can pick up on that you missed before, or it's become culturally relevant again, or you're just interested in it again. And then there's no need to watch the new ones, especially if the new ones aren't, if nothing new that you like has come up. Yeah. You know, culturally relevant. I mean, I liked what you brought up there and I liked what you said, because I think there is something to be said about, for example, the culturally relevant one that people were getting on my not getting on my case. They were just recommending a watch. It was 13 reasons why, which I've talked about a lot on the show. To me, I think that's culturally relevant today because it is something finally that people are addressing, but it's been culturally relevant for decades. 
you know, nothing's really changed. It's just, we're finally recognizing and doing something about it. But I thought that was good. That was a show that I personally could get through Mm -hmm. and I learned from, and I thought, there you go. But there are some other shows that are, I mean, like, is it culturally relevant to watch arrow and the flash? Eh, you know, if you like superheroes, sure. And if you don't, it doesn't matter because a lot of people were saying, well, Supergirl is culturally relevant for various reasons. And I lost interest in Supergirl halfway through the season this year. And I thought, eh, it's not my thing, but I'm also not the target. Well, and that's where sometimes you're looking, am I watching this because it's culturally relevant? And that way it's almost like it's spoon fed academic study in some way. Yeah. Same with when you're reading books, you have books that you read for, for fun and for entertainment. And then you have things that you read to learn from or to understand something culturally or socially. You're looking for something in there that helps you reference other things and helps you understand people. And whether, you know, that's kind of like the academic side versus the, the entertainment side. Again, with those books that you have to read in high school that everyone says, these are classics, everyone should understand these. Even when they force people to read them, they, oftentimes they don't understand. Oh, them. I and, know. That's, and even then it's kind of like, meh, I don't know. I like what I like. I think that's kind of what it goes down to. There are people that say, you got to go see this movie and I go see it. And I'm like, eh, it was okay. So like, this is an interesting one. And then this will be my last comment on this and we, we can move on if you'd like, but the collateral beauty with Will Smith. And have you seen it? I have not seen it. So it was interesting because there were like everybody to watch was like, oh my gosh, it's our, be- it's our favorite movie. Well, I don't know if it's our favorite, but they love it. It's one of their favorite movies. And we watched it. It was very good, by the way. It's definitely worth a watch, but it was also very depressing. And I walked out of there feeling super heavy, but again, it had a good ending. So don't worry, you know, but it's just one of those things where you're just like, oh man, I feel so heavy after that. And I don't like movies like that anymore. I want to feel like, yeah, that was great. You know, adrenaline rush or whatever, which pretty much encompasses the action and the sci-fi and all that. Or I want something that is funny and lighthearted so I can just relax or something that is like super uplifting, inspiring, encouraging, empowering, that kind of thing. That's me. Man, other people love depressing things and that's fine. But that goes back to the whole idea of what, what do we like? What do we each like? You know, just because somebody says this is the best movie ever doesn't mean that it's the best movie for me per se, but which is what I love. I Sometimes I think that people are telling you those things that they're saying you should watch this just because they're looking for a point to connect with you on. Yes. And oftentimes they want you to understand them and their likes. Totally. I like that. Well, and that's where it's like, okay, I you know sometimes if I want to build that connection with that person, I need to go read Wikipedia and get the Cliff's notes on, on Black Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Say, I don't really remember. No. Well, the thing is, I don't want to be inauthentic about that. I'm yeah. be like, okay, I read up on it. You're right. People want to connect or they want to share something with you that was something great for them. People do it all the time. Like, oh, well, you should. And then fill in the blank. And usually what that translates into is I did fill in the blank and it really was awesome for me. And I want to connect with you over this. Yeah. Not necessarily that you should do that. It's more of a, hey, I did this and it was awesome. And maybe it's cool for you and maybe it's not, but whatever. Well, it's okay. Most people don't do their shoulds anyways. No, I know. Yeah. I have been told, you know, the shoulds my whole life. And usually the shoulds that I have followed has ended poorly just because it wasn't for me. If you know what I mean? Mm. Sometimes they were fine, but most of the time they weren't. But one thing I've learned since is I don't like to be told the shoulds. So I need to be careful not to tell other people the shoulds. (laughs) But it comes back to, it's like, it's translation. I want to connect. Here's something that worked for me. Mm -hmm. Maybe it would work for you. Maybe it would be cool for you. And maybe not. And if it's not, cool. End of discussion. This is interesting, man. We went from Black Mirror to understanding people at like a deep core level. I don't get it. 
It's amazing. <laughs> I don't know. We could try and go for something more lighthearted. Okay, let's do it. How's your tea? Uh, well, I've been waiting to grab it and try it. I've been smelling it. So first of all, explain it. Let's hear your impressions, then I'll explain it. I was, or your impressions of the aroma, at least, before you... Okay. So, well, first of all, we need to remind everyone here that you work at Happy Lucky's right now as one of your projects. Let's call it that. One of the many things that <laughs> exactly. I do. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So, you have had an opportunity to learn the teas, and of course, not just because of that. You've, you've been around tea a lot before that, right? I tea some wine a whole ton. So, that's where I get my flavor background is from wine sales. Nice. That's right. We talked about that. Okay, so this is a custom, right? Custom this blend? A, this is a custom blend. Uh, well, I'm smelling the smoky, whatever that is. I'm smelling bergamot? Yeah, the right? bitter orange in there. I don't smell the orange yet, and I don't smell chamomile, interestingly, even though I saw it. And then black tea? Definitely black tea in there. Okay. All right, I'm going to try it. I was waiting for it to cool down. <laughs> so, good. Well, I'm smelling it correctly. Yeah, we started our tea before the show, just for all you listeners. I know, and I can't drink it super hot because it burns my lips off. Mm. Okay, now hold on. Is there a mint in there of some kind? There shouldn't be any mint in there. Interesting. <laughs> Unless that's left in your glass from something previous. Oh, it could be the orange oil. It could Maybe. be the orange and the bergamot. And those two kind of bounce out because bergamot's a bitter orange. And then there's actually yeah. orange in there as well. But this is a custom blend that actually is for one of the restaurants here in town. Nice. And it's based on an Earl Grey, but then adding more of those floral notes and kind of the smoky notes to it. I blended this that's tea good. up. I know where the recipe was kind of helped consult on it a little bit as it was being made. Yeah. I blend a little bit up, but this is the special blend for Daniel, who is the head chef at the gold leaf. Nice. So it's, this is the Daniel gray rather than an Earl gray or a Madam gray. I love it. So, you know, it's funny now I'm not tasting the mint anymore. So that must've been the orange oil because that is a sweeter taste or the orange peel. I mean, and I've had that with rubus, cinnamon, orange, and it's orange oil and orange peel. And you get that, that sweetness mm-hmm. that tastes like sugar, but it's probably just the fructose of some kind left over, even though there's no sugar in it. But yeah, that's really good. If you can believe it, I don't taste the chamomile. And usually I can taste that like crazy. It's mostly on the nose for me, but it yeah. balances it out because chamomile is actually oh, there it is. a really smooth flavor. And it's kind of the, yeah. it's a bridging flavor oftentimes. It's an aftertaste flavor for me. So I'm getting black tea, bergamot, first and then the sweetness comes in and then the chamomile if i'm really paying attention interesting then of course the smoky is all there that's really yeah. good man just a mild smokiness smoky teas are difficult I, yeah they're divisive people either really dislike them or really like them and for the people who really like them they're down to like two or three teas total that they'll drink see and i've had smoky teas in the past that have just been overpowering and i get the smokiness here and it's awesome and it smelled good, but there are some you open it up and it smells like a campfire. I can't do it. It's bad. It's one of those things where I start drinking and I'm going, oh my gosh, that is like seriously like drinking ash from a campfire. And granted, but like I said, I love the smokiness to it. So I think if it's done more as a subtlety and less of a primary flavor or taste or whatever. And then yeah, that's good. That smokiness, especially if it's subtle, it's easier to drink. But also if you have that with something, there's not as much like tea and food pairings out there, but some people do. And it's definitely something that's worth exploring. But the smokiness and anything that's really fatty. Interesting. Hmm. So, you know, if you're going to have kind of a charcuterie board, you're going to have some cheeses and then sliced meats. Hmm. The fattiness there goes really well with smoky teas. Yes, I could imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and I love cheese. Yeah, you know, what's cool about this is most people think of tea and they think of like a Lipton black tea and like, I don't like tea. 
And, and it's so funny because I've talked to a bunch of people who say, well, I never thought I would like tea. And then they heard the episode with George and it was like, oh, well, this is interesting. Let me try some tea. But when you start doing stuff like this, when you start custom blending it and you start going, okay, these are these different flavors. And oh my gosh, like that's amazing. And I did that. And I've mentioned this on the show, but the coffee, I had an Ethiopian Yergeshev coffee that I roasted. And then I took some ground coriander, sprinkled it in the coffee grounds and then brewed it. And you really get an interesting pairing of flavor. And I thought, you know, these are the kind of things that I enjoy doing is just saying, okay, how can I make this better? How can I make it taste a little different? How can I have some fun with this? So that's cool. I would love to to blend teas. That would be awesome. Well, when you said cardamom, I wasn't actually that surprised. That's, I want to say it's Central America. My mother does it. She had it someplace in Central America where they do green cardamom pods. Yeah. And they'll actually grind them up or kind of rough crush them up and throw them in with the coffee grounds. And that would be amazing. And it's one of those things that it kind of smooths out the acidity in the coffee. Mm -hmm. If you get the balance right, that is really delicious. Yeah. Try coriander though. It's very different. It's next on my list. Yes. I mean, cardamom is amazing. And I put that in like, like actually I do it in coffee. Cardamom is huge in chai. Yes. Yeah. That and ginger and black pepper are like the primary flavors that you want to get in that chai and to get it right. Yes. Yes. You know, what's funny is I don't taste cinnamon, of course, but I don't taste clove very often in chais unless it's a homemade. There's a couple places that actually do homemade chais around here. And, you know, I mean, like if you go to a shop and you get it and I, you obviously have your own blends too and happy luckies, but oh my gosh, it is a good chai. Wow. Everyone's like, oh, you've never had a real chai before. And then they put in a real, real chai in front of me. And I went, oh, wow. Yeah. That's very different than, you know, what I've experienced. It's so good. Well, sometimes you need those entry level, like the chai with trading wheels. Something that comes in a box is super spicy, but also super sweet. And they've had someone blend it for approachably spicy. You don't, yeah. you don't yeah. want to go too much into those intense flavors. And I like the burn though. You like the burn. <laughs> yeah. Usually when I, you know, like bok tea out of Boulder, which of course they've changed a little bit now, which is, is kind of sad. But back when they were very local, it was intense. And I would always order a uh, chai but I would get a bok tea and I'd say, you know, let's do three quarters chai and, you know, a quarter milk. And I mean, man, you'd drink that and it'd be like, whoa, man, it's burning. It was awesome. <laughs> it's kind of weakened. I don't know what they did. They've changed something. Probably want a broader audience. Something that yeah. mild change to it, maybe. Well, and it's a bigger company now. So gosh, darn it. All right. So whenever I get big with this show, I'm going to remember that what made this show special, we want to throw out so that we can just sell out. Isn't that what we should do? Like every company should eventually sell out to whatever is popular. I think you need that in the business plan. Yeah. It's it's on page two. It's a great idea. And then you just sit around and watch Black Mirror. Actually, next on my list is a throwback to you several weeks ago. I want to say like three, four weeks ago. One of your Monday episodes was on decision making. Oh, make a fracking decision. Yes. Yes. I enjoyed that because it's something that I used to be really bad at decision making. And the thing that two influences in my life that really made me better at decision making. Mm -hmm. And one is really highfalutin and cultural. I read The Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Musashi, the great Japanese samurai. We're not even sure if he was really that great of a samurai. He was at the end of the samurai period and didn't do much fighting. But he said all decisions on the battlefield should be made in a span of three breaths or less. Mm. He's talking about every life and death decision. So... Interesting. So being, you know, cultural and being fast about your decisions there. But the one that really made me make faster decisions in life is I read something about deciding on things on a menu. Oh, I like that. How do you decide on things on a menu? Well, you know what I love to do? And this is actually a friend of mine did this years ago. 
and this was this used to be very easy to do and I'm having a harder time with it now because I'm not getting the answers I want but I go in and I say what would you pick based on all of the foods you've tried that's what I ask the wait staff mm-hmm. because they know the food and they'll know like okay well this is a fan favorite or you know what this is unique this is awesome this is the dish to try sometimes they'll come and they'll say well you know do you like meat are you a vegetarian they'll qualify that but that's usually how I make my decisions nowadays is I'll walk in and say what would you order if you were to eat here? And most of the time they'll say, you got to try this. And they're always right. I definitely still do that. Yeah. But the article I read was specifically on when the waiter or waitress is, is almost absent. You know, yeah. like you're in a bigger group or something. And if you look at the decision-making process for a group. So you can't ask what the recommendation would be. You have to choose is what you're saying. If you're just gotcha. going to choose, what do you do when you look at the menu? Or, you know, and oftentimes it's you're looking at the menu and discussing with the group. Because you'll, oh, yeah. if you watch people, most people will kind of give, if you have a group of six people, you will always have at least two, if not four people who are going to put out two options that they think they're going to get. And they're not really going to decide until they hear what everyone else is going to mm, get. Yeah, that's very true. And then how much time are you spending discussing the food and the menu when you could be talking about other things? If you don't have yeah. anything else to talk about, that's great. Yeah. I would like to think that I have other things to talk about. Totally. It's, you know, that's interesting. I used to do that actually. Now that I think about that, I used to say, okay, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm deciding between these two and I still do periodically because I'm like, this looks good. This looks good, but I like to get feedback. Like, so I'll say, you know, have you been here before? And if they say, yeah, what do you eat? Because the thing is you go to a restaurant, they've got, you know, a minimum of 20 or more options. Some of the foods. Now I heard this, I think it was on the profit. I think anyway, as a business show and they talk about that most restaurants menus are designed in a way to draw you into the food item that makes them the most profit. So it may not be the best tasting one. It may not be the most unique one. It may not be the one you'll enjoy the most, but it's the one that makes them the most money. And so that's why I've started to ask because of that alone, because I could go in and say, oh, well, that looks good. Yeah, because they presented it well, Mm -hmm. but then I get it and I go, "Eh, it was all right. Or, well, that looks okay. Anyway, what I would do is actually go through the menu myself and say, okay, I like this type of food. I'm looking at the ingredients. If they show that, that's something I'm interested in. But yeah, if I have my choice, like my first choice is always to ask someone who's been there or works there what they would choose. But if I don't have that choice, then I'll just pick whatever sounds good to me at that moment. Most people also have to read almost all of the menu before they do that. I read most of it, but I glance. It's kind of like a speed read kind of through like, oh, okay, I'm going there, go there. After reading that article, I specifically don't ask anyone else at the table what they're getting. Yeah, sometimes yeah. I'll mention it if everyone else is kind of, if that's part of the conversation, but I go right to the category that I know it's like, how hungry am I? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm hungry enough for, you know, big entree or soup and salad type of thing. And I'll just go right to that category. And it's like, okay, within that, even before, without reading anything under them, I'll read just the headings and say, do I feel like if they're breaking it up by protein category or pasta versus pizza, something like that that part of the decision happens before I even read what the details are. And yeah. it's especially knowing what the restaurant is beforehand. Part of that too, I think is going into saying, okay, where are we going? That can be a big decision to say, well, what do you feel like? And I think that can also depend on, are you hungry? That's interesting. We did that in a point where I was like, well, I don't know what, what sounds good. I don't know. Let's look around. Now, Sarah and I eat differently. She's more vegan vegetarian and I'm a carnivore. So it's like, Sometimes we'll just say, okay, let's find a place we can both enjoy or I'll go here. You go here. And then, you know, like we'll go pick up our food and then we'll come home and eat like that's fine. We go together, of course. But I think that's the first choice. What do you feel like? What sounds good right now? Or if I'm in a healthy kick, 
you know, let's choose this, let's do that, go from there, make the decision and make it happen. But those are all the decisions that you make before actually letting the menu influence you for what you want. And I think, yeah, that's true. I think that's what gets you to the decision that's, you know, heck yes, I want this one. Yeah. That's what gets you there faster is the asking yourself before you let the menu guide you to where they want you to be. Good point. So like, for example, so I pick restaurants typically based on the type of food they serve. I'm not just going to go somewhere and go, well, I don't know. I like to say, okay, I'm going here because it's Italian or I'm going here because it's all organic and local or something. And then I'll say, okay, like I'll look at what are your specials? So there's a shop here that's a vegan place. They change their menu around all the time. And usually I'll walk in and I'll say, I know exactly what I want. I had it last time. It was amazing. Or I know I wanted to try this the second time and they change their menu and they don't have the options. And I'm like, ah, so then I'm like, well, I don't know what I would like. Is this good? And then I went in and I said, well, here's what I usually get, but I would like to try something new. None of these sound good. This one sounds good. Is it spicy? Cause I hate like super spicy food. Mm-hmm. Oh no, it's fine. I get it. I seriously felt like I was going to have to go to the hospital from the burn. I'm like, yeah, you guys don't know your spice. So, oh, it's probably this Japanese pepper. Yeah. Most Asian peppers are not mild. Sorry. So they went back and they fixed it. And then it was like, well, yeah, but now it doesn't have any flavor. So I'm like, well, yeah, but see, that was a situation where because of the menu, I was like, I don't know what to pick because none of these actually sound good to me. So that was a tough one. But I think most of the time you actually have menus where it's like something sounds good. Narrow it down. Oh, okay. Here's another example. Went to a, an Asian place and they have, I don't, they probably have over a hundred or 150 options. Mm-hmm. So first of all, that's bad. Decision paralysis yeah. right there. Don't do that to your customers. If you are a restaurant owner, that's too many options. It's ridiculous. And second of all, you can't make them all that good. There's no way. So I'm like, I don't even know, man. This is crazy. I don't know where to start. And I'm like, well, I always get this, but I want to try something new. But I'm literally looking at all these options and going, I forget it. I'm going to, I'm just going with what I normally get. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm never disappointed, but it's like, I'd love to try something new, but there's too many options. 150 menu items is stupid. Or like Cheesecake Factory has like 500 menu options. <laughs> Have you ever seen their menus? It's like 20 pages. It's out of control. It's been forever since I've been there and on. I was probably too young to even bother. I think I let my parents order for me when I was there. Yeah. You'll have cheesecake. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like that's it. That's all they have. Yeah. I know. Well, you know, their food is fantastic. I've been there a lot, but my goodness gracious, it's ridiculous. You really do spend about 20 minutes looking through the menu just because that's literally the time it takes just to get through it, not even make a decision. Well, at that point, that's part of the entertainment of going there. That's part of the, that's true. The spectacle of going. And if that is an, if it can be an engaging conversation with who you're with or entertaining for you as you know, someone who's looking through it. Sure. Yeah. Or then you go to places where it's like, here's what the chef decided to make tonight. You have three options or you have one. Here it is. Some of those places are the best. I know. I was going to say, when you were talking about asking what the waiter or waitress would recommend, some of the best cases where I've done that, it has to be a nicer restaurant Yeah, where the staff is engaged, where the chef is engaged. Actually, I did that at the Kobe Club in Kobe, Japan. Went there for a dinner one night and I looked at the options and I just told the waitress, I said, tell the chef to make me whatever he wants as long as it's not fish. Interesting. And she walked into the kitchen she came back out and said, are you sure no fish? And I said, yeah, no fish, but anything that he really wants to make. And 
the main course came out and I had Iberico pork from Spain. That nice. was incredible. And I had to fend off my coworkers because this was in the wine business. One of my coworkers and my boss who were sitting on either side of me and both of them were like, if that was on the menu, I would have ordered it. Wow. <laughs> I was like, and it was actually one of the best meals I'd ever had. Yeah. But you know, along those lines, if things are not busy and if it's someone who really enjoys their craft, that's where you get the best of anything, which is just make me something. It's kind of interesting because I used to go to coffee shops. I mean, I've been going to coffee shops a lot for a long time and I would go to coffee shops and I'd say, what's your signature drink? And they're like, they'll put it up at the menu. I'm like, no, 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 not your menu, your personal, your barista, you personally, what is the signature drink that you're famous for? And I mean, I'm not kidding. Nine times out of 10, they'd be like, oh my gosh, are you sure? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'm going to make it for you. And it was amazing. And it was always amazing. Oh, even at Starbucks, they would do that. Oh, I'm. Nowadays, I would say nine times out of 10, they're like, uh, I don't know. Well, people usually just come in and order. I'm like, no, I don't care what other people get. I, I'm caring what you make. Well, I don't drink coffee. Wait, you're a barista and you don't drink coffee. I'm not kidding. I hear it all the time. Now. I, I have met, I, I met someone who was a barista for three years and worked at a tea house for, I think a year and a half. Never had a cup of coffee. Never had a, a actual caffeinated cup of tea. That's ridiculous. That should be a qualification. I think so. I'm, do you drink coffee? Yes. Oh, okay. What kind of coffee do you drink? Blah, blah, blah. That should be like a job skill that you're looking for at a coffee house or a I, tea house. Actually, when I got into the wine business, my first interview was an interview coupled with a lunch. Yeah. And I was poured three glasses of wine and told to describe them. Mm. And that was one of the most important parts of the test. Yeah. And it was, you know, even if you come in and you're like, oh yeah, I've been a sommelier for three years and you know, I've done so many tests. I've worked at so many restaurants. They're still going to pour wine in front of you and say, what do you think of this? And they yeah. may not completely yeah. be a blind test, but you know, there's a requirement that you're at least interested in it. Oh my gosh. It's, it's ridiculous. Cause like some of the great coffee houses, for example, and you'll see them making an espresso and they'll look at it and they'll dump it out and they'll start over because the crema wasn't right. The timing wasn't right. The pull you know, I mean, there's so many factors that go into this. And then you go to the other places where, you know, like they said, they don't drink coffee. They don't even know what a ristretto means. Mm. Dude, if you are a barista, you need to know what a ristretto means. All right. Stuff like that. And I would get this espresso back and it's black on top. A good espresso has a crema, mm-hmm. which looks like the head on a good glass of beer. Mm-hmm. If you come back with a black espresso, you've screwed it up. Start over. But that's not how they do these things. And it's super bitter and it's nasty and it's flat. Fl- oh, but I'm just thinking like, dude, it's not that hard to hire somebody who drinks coffee or drinks tea or drinks wine. Like I would never go apply for a wine bar because I don't drink wine. They shouldn't hire me if I did. They'd be kind of like, do you drink wine? No. What are you doing here? Go. You're not even qualified. <laughs> and it's been interesting. And I don't know if what it is. I'm trying to figure this out. Why was it nine times out of 10 people would say, I've got a drink for you. Mm-hmm. And now nine times out of 10 people are like, I don't know. I don't drink coffee. What? Same places, by the way. Well, on those lines, I have to give a shout out to the artery downtown. One, they're fantastic. But two, I was down there with a friend of mine and she had seen on their Instagram feed a shot of espresso in a champagne glass floated on top of orange juice. Ooh, interesting. And she was like, I've never seen that. I've never tried it. I want to try it. And so we walk in and we're like, this is a bit of a weird request, but we just saw it on your Instagram. And we got... Nathaniel, the barista who had put up that picture. And he's like, interesting. That came from a coffee shop in Arizona that closed. I had it there, loved it. And he's like, 
I'm probably the only one here who would make it for you. This is one of the few places that makes this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I hadn't seen it anyplace else. I wasn't sure, you know, the citrus and a good espresso. And I have to say, I still- It worked. I still would defer to a proper espresso, mm-hmm. especially there. Their guys are so good. But it was such a weird drink because there was a thermocline in your glass. Mm-hmm. The espresso is, it's cooled down because it's on the orange juice, which is cold. And when you drink it, the espresso is, it's not hot. It's just warm, but the orange juice is cold. And as you drink it in the process of tipping the glass back, every sip goes from warm to cold. Oh, I love that. And it goes from the acidity of the espresso to the sweetness of the orange juice, which feels extremely sweet after the coffee. And because it was floated properly, every sip had both sides to it. I was It's a great drink. See, you know, when Starbucks used to do manual espresso machines, now it's all, you know, automated and everything. Mm -hmm. Back when they were actually put art in it, there was a drink called the floater that one of the Starbucks locations did. And I was like, uh, (laughs) I don't know if I want that. They're like, no, trust me. So what they would do is they would put, I think it was just raw sugar and then cream in the bottom of the cup. And they'd make sure that it was, you know, stirred up correctly. And then they did, I think it was a spoon over the top of the cream within the cup and they would extract the espresso over. So what it would do is somehow, and again, I I didn't actually understand exactly how they did it, but it would come down and the espresso would sit on top of the cream and not get mixed up. And so as you drink it, it's like super bitter, non-sweet, hot espresso. And then like you said, the more you tip it, the cooler and sweeter it gets. And by the end of the cup, it's like, it's like a sugary nectar of cream. It was so cool. And I thought, oh, and nobody even knows this anymore. But <laughs> yeah, I think the art of coffee making is actually at some places. It's amazing. So like you said, artery and there's some other places around town. It's still a thing. Art of tea is still a thing. The art of wine, beer. We have a lot of that. But I think people are just hiring whoever now and they're rushing it and they're trying to make a buck. And, and it's like this sucks. Well, I can see that in some ways at the same time, I see the third wave of coffee coming in stronger. Like, ah, I may be completely wrong here because I only heard the explanation from, oh, maybe I saw that in a film. There's a film called Barista. I never saw that. I saw it on an airplane and really enjoyed it. Hmm. And yeah, I would highly recommend it. Okay. I'm going to write that down and check it out. But they talked about the three waves of coffee. The first wave being, you know, old school kind of quick grind Folgers pour over or Folgers in your machine. Yeah. And then the second wave of coffee really coming in, you know, getting big with Starbucks and with big brands like that, where it's a really dark roast. And oftentimes they're actually, in some cases they're using sugar in the, in the roast. So there's sugar in with the beans and it kind of caramelizes it. And it's that super dark roast. And that's where you get just a super strong tasting, robust tasting. It's not necessarily strong caffeine wise. Definitely not. That kind of wave of coffee. And then the third wave of coffee is this, kind of artisan going back to what makes a really good espresso. Mm -hmm. A lot of those guys are grinding their own beans, roasting their own beans. That really gets to be an art form in the places that those guys make sure that they have manual machines. Um, Actually, my favorite barista left flat hat coffee recently. Oh no. And I'm sad because her replacement was a really nice guy. And the shot of espresso he pulled was just not nearly as good. Oh man. I remember her stuff. I only go periodically because they close usually before I can get there. But I remember her. She made a great espresso. Oh, that's too bad. There was another dude. He worked at different places, but this one shop, this, this is local shop. They're open 24 hours a day. It's awesome. But he grew up, his parents had a, a, a coffee shop. They roasted, they had a roastery as well. So he grew up with this and I met him at this one coffee shop and he was always making these special drinks. And he was actually the first person that I saw that would take. If you wanted an iced 
espresso beverage or an iced coffee, he would put it in a cocktail shaker, shake it up and then pour it out without the ice mm-hmm. so that it was cold, but it wouldn't be watered down, mm-hmm. which is something that I'm like, dude, every coffee shop should be doing this. And then he went to another place and the coffee that they used is not one of my favorites in town. I think it's actually among my lower favorites by any means, uh, kind of just about Starbucks level, <laughs> but somehow he made it good mm. and every other espresso or every other barista couldn't do it. Mm. So, and then he's gone. I'm like, no. So I know when you're losing, like, I, you know, your favorite chef or your favorite barista or whoever, you know, whoever it is that you like, you're like, no, you know, they move around town. They go to where the quality's at. Well, and they bring the quality with them. That's yes, the, that's true. Shifting topics on here again. I bought contacts online or I'm in the process of buying contacts online. It's a little bit complicated. I 1-800 contacts looks like such an easy thing. And I'd always seen the websites, the advertisements, and I haven't been to my optometrist in a while. So I said, okay, I'm going to just go online. I know what my prescription is. I'll go buy them. But you can't do that. You have to have your prescription and it has to be renewed every year. That's a standard thing in the optometry industry. And my prescription's expired. So they didn't tell me, they said, do you have your prescription? And I knew what all my numbers were. So I put in all the measurements and everything. And it gets to the end and they say, upload a picture of your prescription because we need to see that it's up to date. Interesting. And so I was like, okay, I can't actually order this. I need to call up my optometrist. And But I'd already gotten that far in the checkout. They even put a hold on my credit card. I had already paid. Oh, wow. Before they tell me that they're doing that part. Yeah. Or they you know, they said, do you have this? And I was like, nope. And they're like, well, we'll ask you to verify it. And I was like, I, I can't verify that, guys. So their customer service called me and they said, hey, you don't have a current prescription. We can't do this. And I was like, yeah, I know. And they said, well, we have an option for you. You can do the eye test at home. Really? And I was like, Okay, that sounds a little unusual. And they're like, you need your smartphone and your computer and it will be certified by an optometrist here in Colorado. Now, wait, they can't test your eye health though, right? So they can't do like the glaucoma glaucoma tests and all that and really look at your retinas and all. But what they do is for the standard part of the eye exam, they sent me an email and they're like, okay, it's only 20 bucks to do your eye exam. Supposed to be 40. We're giving you a discount for 20 and then there's, do you want to check the box where we could also do your glasses? That's an additional $20. So it's like, okay, I'll spend $40 anyways if I get both. So you start up the program. It has you put a few things together, you know, put in your last measurements and things like that. Tell them whether or not you have your glasses on, which they were a little ambiguous on, but I'm pretty sure I was supposed to have my glasses on for those. And they ask you your shoe size. Really? And shoe size? Your shoe size. So huh. once you get your shoe size and they have, they're like, okay, you're going to need, they have you take your driver's license or a credit card and line it up on the screen and they use that to match the size of your screen to say how many pixels that card is. So once you get that on there, you put your card away and they've, you've told them your shoe size. It says, okay, stand with your back to your computer and heel to toe, you're going to go 13 steps. Hmm. And for you, it'd probably be less steps because you have bigger feet than I do. Mm-hmm. Because they're using your shoe size when you're barefoot to measure out the distance from your screen, puts up the symbols on the screen where you have to tell what direction it is or what's going on with each symbol, and you answer on your cell phone to punch it in rather than verbally answering. Gotcha. So you're looking, like you're standing back here, and I'm looking at my computer screen, Mm -hmm. and they're asking what the size of the screen is and what your shoe size and everything, and then you go back with your phone, and you're like, okay, I can read this line, and here's what it says. Well, they only put up one line at a time, Mm -hmm. and they say, what direction is this shape facing or which of these three is an X rather than a circle. And you're answering on your cell phone by pushing buttons and your computer is talking to you from across the room. Wow. It says next one, this one. Okay. Cover this eye. And it digitally talks you through the whole thing. It's, 
in a lot of ways, I think that's actually the future of medicine. Yeah, that's that interesting. They, you know, the system asks you questions in your own home and what you're doing, you and you just set it up rather than setting an appointment. And you can do this at any hour of the day. And then they have, you know, I don't know how accurate they are. Hmm. Really, I just, you know, I'm hoping that have you I, received them yet? I have not received them ah, yet. Okay. I did the test. I did the test early this morning. Okay. So, well, I, oh man, I'll be, I'll be curious to see what happens. It takes 24 hours for them to certify it. Uh-huh. And then they asked me about my glasses prescription. And again, that's something I didn't have. So I don't know if I'm, I don't know if that matters at all. <laughs> it's um, different, but yeah. yeah. Okay. But I'm hoping that they'll just be willing to send me the contacts that I want to order because my prescription is still fine. Yeah. Dude, let me know how this goes because I don't know if they could for me because I've got custom because <laughs> my vision's so bad. But man, that would be very interesting to see. Because, you know, checking your eye health, I get it. But if you're just doing a contact update, you know, or something like that, to be able to do this at home without having to go in and spend all that money, oh my gosh, be so nice. Well, yeah, my con, my prescription has changed very little in 15 years I've been wearing glasses. Yeah. It's had a minor shift twice in 15 years. And I can, you know, and maybe that's just the arrogance on my part that I think I can still see really well with my glasses, but it's enough that I probably wouldn't be changing things. Well, I feel like we could probably do a better job (laughs) than some people. I mean, here's the thing. I was going to an eye doctor for a while. And when I first started going there, they were great. You know, they took a lot of time with you and everything. Then they started changing some things around in the contact lens department. And I thought this person's not qualified to be working here. Like I know more about eye health and, you know, contact and vision than this person does. And it kind of never really picked up and it just kind of, yeah, it was terrible. And at one point, so the last time I went in for my contacts, they were looking at my vision and uh, I don't know what they were doing. Actually, it was the weirdest thing. I'm like, I'm not sure what you're doing, but this is weird. And then they dilated my eyes and then they're trying to do a vision check with dilation, which you can't get an accurate picture at that point. And then they come back and the doctor comes in and says, you know, we're really concerned. I'm like, what? Like your vision has changed drastically, like five or six points. So I'm like a negative 10 and they're like, you know, you, oh my gosh, you're a negative 18 or I think that's what it was. It was a negative 18. And I'm like, what? When, there's no way. Like I'm still seeing fine. And oh, no, 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 trust me. And I, we sat there and I argued with this person for like 20 minutes and I'm like, no, I'm still seeing fine. I just need new contacts. Well, you know, it shows you've got a negative or a negative eight change or oh, it's back and forth, back and forth. But I'm like, okay, something's wrong here. And it took four separate times in about three months to get this worked out until they finally admitted we made a mistake. And I'm like, I told you from the beginning, something was wrong and you weren't doing. Yeah. Oh, needless to say, I'm not going back there anymore, but that's what I'm saying. Like that was ridiculous. I could have done that my own. That sounds just like the baristas. Exactly. You got to just keep shifting every few years to find the right places where the good baristas and the good optometrists go. Yeah. Well, you know, I do see that. I've seen that with doctor's offices across the board where eye doctors, everything. It's like the bigger they get, the worse they are. And it doesn't have to be that way, but that's typically what I see. Money speaks, you get more patients, you have less time with people. And I know that the healthcare system, I'm not going to go into it, but I know a lot of people that are in the healthcare system that are not happy with how it's been the last eight years. So it's changed and it makes it difficult. I know for medical professionals to be able to do their jobs properly. So I do know that much, but we're not going into politics. I'm just saying, (laughs) no, I was just, I just mentioning like I, that's part of the reason why I think things have gone downhill. 
Well, you know, gosh, we we can't end on this kind of a low topic. No, no, no. no, no, no. Let's what, get, okay. what else is something that's, you know, kind of shuffling up your life? Something else that's interesting that's bringing. Oh, I like that. What's, yeah. Well, with that said, there's not a lot of stability with this topic. You do kind of, you know, you just never really know what's coming at you. It's a game called Flux. I like the Flux. flux compa- no, 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 no. It's not 1.21 gigawatts of, you know what? We could call it 1.21 gigawatts of fun. <laughs> That's going to be a new so addition cheesy. for them. <laughs> Al Brian, that was terrible. Some of you already know this game. Two X's Flux. Mm. Amazing game. Love it. You've played it. I was going to say, you just recently discovered this one? No, no, no. I just thought I'd bring it up because I was like, I've never talked about this. Oh, I've, I've, we've had this game for years. I've, I've played so many editions of it and yeah. and it's a game that's gotten better over the years. I think they're probably on like 4.0 or 5.0 now. Yeah. And they keep modifying slight modifications of the rules that make it so much more entertaining. What's your favorite edition? I've played only one or two of the custom ones that have okay. a theme. And I got to say the standard one was really standard. It, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Have you played some of the theme ones? Do you like those? Yeah, I've played, um, I haven't played them all, but yeah, the standard one is fantastic. I have Martian Flux. We have the regular show Flux, which is awesome. I've played Firefly Flux and you know, it's interesting. The themes, so Firefly is definitely geared towards adults mm-hmm. and the regular show ironically is geared a little bit towards a younger audience. So as cool as that game is, it's super simple. Mm-hmm. There's very few, you know, rules and you know how that game literally can just change on you constantly. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of that. I think there's one creeper in the entire game, which is kind of interesting. But so that game is one of those very simple. You just kind of play through. You have a good time. Firefly, on the other hand, was super complex and it was awesome. Hmm. I really enjoyed that. But yeah, they're so great, though. They have Star Flux, which I wanted to play, which is like a mockery on Star Trek and Star Wars, which I haven't done. Pirate Flux. I mean, there's all kinds of them. It's a good time. It's a great game. And you know what I love is it's a card deck. So easy to transport, you know, travel with. Sarah and I played, actually. This is, I think, what brought it up was like, oh, yeah, we just played the other weekend and I uh, haven't played in a while. And it was one of those games where I'm like, I'm ready to win. She put a card down, changed the whole thing lost. I literally would have won if I, yeah, that, that's what I love it. The entire strategy completely thrown out in one turn. It's awesome. It's a game where you really have to strategize down to one turn. If you can strategize within this turn, that's it. Yeah. This episode was brought to you by flux who didn't give me any money and I'm really upset at them and I'm never playing your game again until you actually pay for this. I'm totally kidding. Or that or they're going to send you a the podcasting version of Flux. Oh, there we go. Yeah, they're going to be like season desist. You used our name. Don't do that. I don't know. I'm <laughs> <laughs> you never know what these people. I, it, it's good. They'll send you a check, a season desist letter or just a, you know, a check for a million dollars. Or a- <laughs> yeah. Here's a free copy. I already have that one. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah. Oh, man, that's all right. Well, do love games. It's It's so funny because. We talk about video games a lot on the show, but we don't talk a lot about board games and, you know, our tabletop is, or I'm sorry, they're called tabletop games now. Board games is so, you know, 19 or 2010 or whatever. Yeah. I love playing those. I was actually talking to a friend who he asked if I'd played D and D and I was like, nope, never did. But we were getting ready to sit down and, and I was like, I got to try it. You know, mm-hmm. I'd like trying things. So I created a character, got all excited. Martin, the flash was like, yeah, let's do this. And we got all the way to the point of starting and we've never done anything. And I'm like, this is so lame. Like I want to try it. I just want to see what it's all about. It's a big commitment. I, well, I, I'm a casual player. I would be one of those. It's like, I don't want to be the, the dungeon master. I just want to go in and just see what it's all about. Play a couple games, have some fun. Have you played? Yeah. Okay. Was it, it fun? Yeah, actually I had a good time. It was actually 
when I lived in Japan, we had, uh, we had a group that played and it was more just an excuse to get together and have snacks and have a couple of drinks. And yeah, sometimes we would, you know, we'd get set up, but we wouldn't get playing for an hour and a half. Yeah. And it was, it was a great social regular thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, we had a lot of fun when we played. That's uh, good, man. That lasted about two years or so. Wow. See, it's, but it's a community. Yeah. It was and a community I like and it was, well, and we all lived, uh, most of us lived in the same apartment building. So there was only one person coming to visit. Yeah. And so everyone else would just, you know, walk down from their respective floors and we'd, you know, if we didn't see each other during the week, that was a good way to catch up. Yeah. I like those types of communities that are committed, you know, whatever that is. But, and I, I can see the same thing with, with people who have a regular poker night. It's just, yeah, this is kind of on a different, you know, softball, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Different nerdy level. Totally. Yeah. You, you do see that, you know, the, the, in fact, I was, isn't there like an organization that's like, uh, 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 I don't even know drinks with geeks or geeks who drink or something like that. Or isn't that like a, a commitment thing? They get together and they do that and they do trivia. And isn't, isn't that they're the, uh, they're one of the trivia organizing groups. Yeah. Okay. But it's um, a bunch of, you know, geeks and nerds that get together. I, I think I love it. They're, they're pretty big. I see their signs all over the place. Yeah. And I think they kind of have chapters. Um, but those guys are, that's a little business that they run. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just, that's true. Um, and they, you kind of need that much of a community or that much of a, a background to keep those events going and to keep people coming up with questions. I think we need to create our own little club like Jedi's who can't use the force or something like that. <laughs> I, at that point I wanted to say forcefully impaired, but that just sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That'd be awesome. Oh, well, you know what the music means? It is time for us to take off Whitney positive entropy. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure having you back. I, I look forward to coming back again. Maybe next yes. time I'll come up with more topics. Definitely not going to tell you again. I love this. This was a great format idea. All right. Well, have a wonderful weekend. Thank you for joining me. Back with a normal week next week. So enjoy the weekend. I am The Real Brian. Sign it off. The Real Brian Show is a production of 514 Media at 514mediaempire.com.